So our speaker, obviously, uh, Brother Souza, and uh, pray for him. And uh, they'll be here a few days in the area. He's preaching for Brother Salee on Wednesday night. And uh, so pray for that. And uh, years ago, when we were first praying about Hope Baptist Church and it's being planted, Brother Souza was one of the ones that went with us. And we just walked the streets down in Elmwood, praying and seeking the Lord's direction. And uh, look what God has done there. So uh, just praise the Lord for that. And uh, so, uh, but uh, thank the Lord, and I'm excited. And Brother Susie, you come preach whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And uh, we love you, and uh, just so thankful for you. So thank you. My heart has been uplifted today by you folks. It's always been my prayer that I want to be a blessing to people. I never want to be a problem to a preacher. I was pastor for 12 wonderful years, and quite frankly, if I had some men come in that really hurt the ministry, but uh, they meant to, maybe they were young in the ministry, but they left some damage. Uh, I don't say, God, I never want to do that. I want to be a blessing. I want to be a help and encouragement. But yet, tonight, I feel like I have received more from you than I have given. I want to thank you for your kind response and your wonderful testimony here. This is a wonderful Sunday night crowd. And I, God bless you. You know how many churches are struggling tonight to get just a fraction of what you have here tonight? Do you realize some churches have given up completely and just canceled a Sunday night service and just not having it anymore because folks just didn't care enough to come? Thank God for caring Christians. Thank God for caring tonight. Before I get to preaching, so don't start the preaching clock yet, all right? Uh, I just want to uh, thank you for your prayers over these last two years. Uh, as we all know, that COVID hit pretty hard some more than others, but we all have been affected. And uh, I had two doses of it. I had to cancel that first time. I had to cancel all my January, February, and March meetings. Uh, just couldn't make it. Just couldn't, just couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, when an evangelist isn't preaching, he's fasting. <laughs> I mean, there's no salary. You know, there's no workman comp. And that's we live off of whatever God brings our way through the generosity of his people. And you folks help meet our needs, and I'll never forget that. You're so kind and so so gracious uh, in that. So after the two bouncers of there of COVID, and then uh, I had two operations uh, after that, and that kind of set me back a little bit further. And then going into the second year, then I was diagnosed with prostate cancer there, and uh, that kind of, you know, when you hear that word first off, it really is like, wow. You know, you hear it happens to others, but yourself. But the doctor said it was a very, very low uh, rating. Uh, it's what they call a G6, if you know this stuff. It's very, the minimal detection that they could find. But to be sure it didn't spread, the uh, doctor recommended an MRI, which, uh, which I did. Those things are noisy. <laughs> Do you ever have one? How many have had an MRI? You get a bump, 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 b
either the diagnosis was wrong, the MRI was wrong, or it was there and gone, or it was just so negligible it just can't be measured and almost non-existent. So I thank God for that. Amen. Now, you didn't know this, but last week I preached a revival up in New Hampshire. It was the first revival after all of this ordeal of elongated meetings. I've had some Sunday meetings, sometimes just Sunday morning, a um, few times Sunday night. But this was the longest meeting, uh, Sunday to Wednesday. I preached nine times in four days. And God gave me strength. Amen. And uh, I had no fatigue, nothing at all. And God poured out a blessing, and we thank God for that. But you folks are the final test <laughs> of long travel. New Hampshire wasn't so bad. I think it was three, maybe three and a half hours. It was much longer from Connecticut to here. And uh, I am just so thankful God has sustained me. I, I feel like God has uplifted me. God has, uh, you know, you come to a time and you say, are you done with me? Have I come to the end of my journey? Have I finished my course? And yet God now seems to give me greater vision, greater strength, and I'm just happy to say I feel that I'm back in the saddle again. <laughs> and I want to thank you for all your prayers. I know many of you prayed for us, and we're thankful that Ben has, uh, you all know he's my third son. We both shared a birthday the other day, May 26th. If you want to write that down, Macho, you should be okay. <laughs> Uh, so it's good to be with him during uh, this, 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 this time as well. I'll tell my wife that's the best birthday gift you ever gave me. And I'm glad for his work and service here and your love to him and hope that he's a blessing. If he's ever a problem, call me. Because <laughs> no matter how old he gets, I'm still the dad. Oh, did I knock that off? We want the people online to be able to hear you, but we got to unmute you. You can dress me up. You just can't take me. <laughs> wrong color button. All right. But I want to thank you for all your blessings and you have a great church here. And tonight, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, and the 28th chapter. Genesis chapter 28. When you find that, find your way down, please, to uh, verse number 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, 
and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into the land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and remnant to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Here we have a man, Jacob, lonely, guilt-ridden, running away. Remember, defrauding his father and his brother, and he's looking for escape. And he's running and running and running. But folks, you can never run away from your troubles. You can never run away. Sometimes people say, oh, if I just had a new house, if I just had a new place, if I just moved out of this neighborhood, my problems will be over. Folks, our problems are within us, and wherever you go, you'll bring your problems with you until you solve them. God wasn't, Jacob wasn't thinking about God, but God was thinking about him. Aren't you glad that's true of your life? Isn't there a song, I think, somewhat like that, isn't there? That when I was on the when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. We weren't even born yet. And yet the Lord loved us and died for us in that place called Calvary. I want to speak tonight on recognizing God. Recognizing God. You say, well, preacher, that should be easy enough. To recognize God. I mean, if God was among us, wouldn't we sense it? If God was among us, wouldn't there be a moving? I want to submit to you tonight. You could be in the midst of the presence of God and not know it. Jacob's here is, is saying here, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And sometimes we miss seeing the obvious. I, I, I grew up when uh, TV was in its infancy. Some of us can remember the big old boxes, right? With those big old tubes they used to have, you know, there. Uh, and, uh, and you turn it on, you had to wait 20 minutes for the thing to warm up, all the tubes inside the thing, you know. And it started with a little white dot in the middle of the screen, and the screen turned green, and then pretty soon you saw little images on that little screen. And uh, 
I grew up when TV was just pretty much new. My dad was the first person in our neighborhood to have a, a television. Uh, there. And I remember one of my favorites, I just grew up loving those old-time Western movies. Yep. I just And one of my favorites was this fella here that wore a mask and had a silver bullet, yeah. and that was... The Lone Ranger, and he had an Indian friend called Tonto. Yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, yeah. Kimo, I always called him Kimo Subi. Nobody knows what that means, but Kimo Subi. Hey, Kimo Subi, me go, me Kimo Subi, me 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 help me keep Kimo Subi. I heard the story. There one night they were out on the prairie. And they were sleeping, and about three o'clock in the morning, the Lone Ranger wakes up Tonto, and he says, Tonto, Tonto, wake up, wake up. What kimosabi? What kimosabi? Tonto, look up, look up. What do you see? Oh, kimosabi. Me see stars. Many stars. And what does that tell you, Tonto? It tells me there are many suns, many moons, many planets, and great creator. What it tell you, kimosabi? Tonto, you dummy. It tells me somebody stole our tent. We miss the obvious sometimes. And I think it's possible also to miss the obvious of God's presence. It happened with Jacob. And we'll look tonight in various passages of Scripture where folks are in the presence of God and didn't even know it. And more than anything today, we need to have that sensitivity to the presence of the Almighty. I sometimes pray. Lord, be with me. <laughs> he said he would be. Right. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, right? Lord, I'm with you always, right? I mean, and, and it's not a matter of, Lord, be with me, but God, give me a consciousness of your presence. Because wherever you go, that's where God is. And we need to have a consciousness of God's presence, and that will affect your walk. Just like does, isn't your driving affected when there's a state trooper behind you? Boy, do you drive a little differently, don't you? And you make sure your hands are at 2 and 10 o'clock on the wheel, and if that cell phone rings, you don't answer it. And you watch that old speedometer there, and you make sure that you don't go over the speed limit, and you just do everything you need. Why? Because you had a consciousness of the policeman behind you. Oh, if we would have that type of consciousness of God in our life, how it would affect us? Thou God, seest me. Don't we teach our children that little Sunday school song, Oh, be careful of the lies which you see, right? Why? There's a father up above looking down in love. Well, and then be careful of the ears. You know all the, all, the, all the verses of that song. Why? But teaching them that God sees us. And we need to have that consciousness in our life. Have you ever heard the expression, I'm talking to someone before the service, I've said it, maybe you have too, and it's so true. You don't know what you have until you lose it. That's happened to me. And maybe it's happened to you too. And unfortunately, some things you just can't get back. You cannot reclaim. We look at the presence of God tonight among us. And what stops us from seeing the Lord tonight? Jacob said, 
the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not, verse 17. And because of that, he was afraid. And he said, that's a dreadful place. And I tell you, if you don't see God in your life, you don't see God in your ministry, you don't see God in your walk, it's going to be a dreadful place. Church is a dreadful place for a lot of people today because they don't see God. How many have gone to church today and maybe they sang songs and stood up and knelt down and did everything that was supposed to be done, but they didn't see God. And it's a dreadful place. I've had preachers across the country figuratively and literally lean on my shoulder and say, I don't see God in my ministry. Sunday school teachers have said, my Sunday school class has become a dreadful place now, and I I have to teach the Sunday school. The joy is gone. It's dreadful because you don't see the presence of the Almighty. I want to look into scriptures tonight to see some instances of those that were in the very presence of God and didn't know it. We turn, first of all, in our, in our scriptures tonight as we continue this, this study to Matthew chapter 14. Such a familiar passage of scripture how many times we have we have read it Matthew chapter 14 and going down let's see let's, uh, verse 24 let's go put it in context verse 22 and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. I have never been in a ship in the midst of a storm. I've been in some fishing boats when squalls would come up and you just feel like you're a cork being bounced around in the water. And it could be very frightening. But these were seasoned fishermen. And in the fourth watch of the night, the storm came and beat against that little vessel. Maybe they were bailing water out, trying to turn that thing around. I don't know. But they looked up, and there was Jesus walking on the water. But they didn't recognize him. Matter of fact, they thought he was a ghost. You know, it's bad enough, we're in the storm. Now a ghost is coming after us, just what we need. <laughs> they did not recognize him. They were with him just a little bit before. But they thought he was someone that came to do them harm. And I wonder that sometimes God comes in the presence of our life and we feel like he's trying to hurt us instead of help us, but God would never do that. He's too loving to be unkind and too wise to make a mistake. So I know whatever happens in God's will is, is, is perfect. 
But they looked up and they saw this spirit walking on. I mean, who walks on water? And the spirit is coming after them. One problem, now another problem. You felt that way in your life. How many times you had one difficulty and says, oh, no. And, and then something else happens. I don't need this now. I'm still dealing with this. And how many times you might have said, I can't take one more issue, one more problem. And God says, sure you can. Watch. <laughs> but we're reminded that God would not tempt you above that which you are able but will with the temptation make a way of escape. Let me say tonight, if you're troubled and you're, and you're having a hard time, I want you to know something. You could handle it. You and Jesus make a majority tonight. But they didn't recognize him. It's a ghost. We go on in the uh, text over here. In verse 26, when disciples saw him, they they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered, You gotta love Peter, don't you? You gotta love Peter. He is so utterly human. He is so utterly like us sometimes, you know, and speaking before engaging brain, you know, and, and everything, and, 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 and chopping off the ear of, the, of Malchus there in the, in, the, in the garden, and just, but, so here's Peter. He sees Jesus. Jesus identifies himself, and what does Peter say? If it's you, let me walk on water to you. And Jesus said, come on, man. <laughs> come on. And Peter did something that no disciple ever did before nor after. He walked on water. Oh, preacher, keep on reading. Keep on reading. Yeah, I know what happened. You know what happened too, right? Some big old wave come up. Some old distraction had come up. And he looked away from Jesus and when he did, he began to sink. I don't know how far down he sank. I don't know if it was up to his ankles, his knees, his waist, or his, his shoulders. I don't know how deep he went. But he cried out and says, Lord, save me. Listen, he walked on water. Yes, he sunk beneath it. But yet Jesus didn't let him drown, did he? Jesus didn't let him die, did he? And, he, and when he cried out to the Lord, the Lord stretched forth his hand and brought him out and put him back in the boat. But the question, why didn't they know him? Why didn't they recognize him? I think the answer is pretty simple illustration I often give. Uh, not that big of a fellow. And my hand is a very small part of my entire body. You got back in that door, you got two big double wide doors. Open up, two doors, open up wide. I could walk through those doors like this. But yet I could stand here with my hand, go like this, and you know what? I don't see those doors. But they're a lot bigger than my hand. But I can't see it. Now, you know the answer, obviously. Perspective, right? My hand is closer to my eye than the door is. 
Therefore, I can't see it. Can I submit to you tonight, when your fear is greater, greater than your faith in, in your life, you will not see God. When you are closer to your troubles, when you are closer to your problems, when all you think about are your hardships and all you think about are your troubles, all you think about are your difficulties in life, and not thinking upon God, you will not see the presence of God. Which is greater in your life tonight? And I ask you because I ask myself first, my fear or my faith? What is greater in our life? And I'll admit that sometimes I have to apologize to God for allowing my fear to not allow me to see him. And tonight maybe I need an invitation time as this preacher kneeling at an altar, saying, God, give me faith greater than my fear. I can't help but believe this. Among a group this size, there are many of us, if not all of us, carrying a burden tonight. You have a care. Maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a family problem. Uh, whatever it is, but you're fearful. I lived most of my life. I understand that. Most of my days are behind me. I don't know how many days I have left. But I fear not for me, but I fear for my children. And I fear for my grandchildren. What kind of world are they going to grow up in? But yet I have to have enough faith that he who sits on the throne of heaven rules above all things. And if we put our children under the influence of God and teach them godly ways and give them a godly heritage then you will see how God can preserve them and use them in a wicked and adulterous generation. But sometimes our fear overcomes us tonight. And I want you to be challenged tonight. Take the biggest fear you have, bring it to this altar, and say, God, give me faith greater than that fear tonight. Not an easy task. Because we all bear a burden. I remember hearing about John Rice. You've heard of him, wrote many books, John R. Rice. And he's a man that influenced me the most for so winning in my entire life. He was out with a pastor at dinner time. They were sitting at a table, and you know how the server comes over and says, Hello, my name is such and such. I'll be serving you tonight. Before she would even get that out, John Rice looked up at her, and he says, Ma'am, you're carrying a heavy burden tonight, aren't you? All of a sudden, her bottom lip began to quiver, and she stood there fighting off the tears. said, How did you know? He was able to lead her to the Lord and give her peace and a hope that faith in Jesus Christ may not solve all your problems, but it give you the ability to cope with it and overcome them someday. And bless God, someday we'll be over our troubles. Amen. And we're all going to that place. There'll be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more crying, and no more dying up there in glory land. But down here, I need to say, God, give me greater faith. Secondly, and we'll move along here tonight, we turn uh, to John chapter number 20. Why didn't the disciples see Jesus? 
because their fear was greater than their faith. John chapter 20, you know the context. Jesus went to the cross, bled, suffered, died, put in the tomb. And in John chapter 20, in uh, verse number uh, 12, well, 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and see two angels in white sitting at the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. See the rest of the verse? And knew not that it was Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, the disciples, they're kind of fickle anyway, I understand. But we're talking about Mary here. She went to the tomb. Jesus wasn't there. She thought that they had taken him away somewhere. And then she goes on, and this is, it's almost unbelievable. In verse 16, no, I'm sorry, and and, 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 and verse 15, and Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Two times I said, what are you crying about? Who are you looking for? <laughs> and she's supposing him to be the gardener. <laughs> what a case of mistaken identity. Not only didn't she recognize Jesus, she thought he was the caretaker of the cemetery. How far off can you be? And then... And this is, sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, one word, Mary. I often wondered, you know, we have the Bible, we understand that, and believe every word of it. But it doesn't give us the inflex of tone of how things might have been said. And I often wonder, how did Jesus say that to Mary? I mean, did he look at her and just say, Mary? <laughs> An astonishment? Did he look at her and say, Mary? I, I, I tend to think it was a very soft, tender voice and tone. But all he said was her name. That's all. And then she knew him. Called her name, and she said unto, uh, she turned herself, uh, turned herself. See, the second time she turned, first time she didn't recognize him. Now she turned to her, turned him again and said, Rabboni, which is to say, Master, why didn't Mary recognize him? The disciples, yeah, I understand that. They were 
went on fear and the waves and the storm and everything, and their fear was greater than their faith. But what was Mary's problem? She loved Jesus. She didn't want his body to not have a proper burial. And she goes to the tomb, and bless God, he wasn't there. He was alive. Why didn't she recognize him? I think the answer is very simple in my mind. She was looking for a dead Jesus instead of a living one. And I want to tell you something today, folks. The greatest truth of all eternity and the greatest truth of credibility of our Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other faith, no other religion in the world has a God that loves them, died, took their punishment upon himself, and then rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. She was looking for a dead Jesus when all the time he was risen from the dead. I wonder, what kind of Jesus do we have tonight? Oh, I know we got it up here. But how has the resurrection of Jesus Christ really affected your life and your everyday living? Stop and think about that for a moment. Oh, choir and I, I wish I could kidnap you, <laughs> take you with me across the country and preaching in churches. Man, you did a fantastic job. And you folks don't know. You, my wife might have an inkling, but you folks don't know what I had to do to compose myself to stay in my seat while they were singing that song, the old rugged cross made the difference. And the cross has made a difference in your life. If the cross has not made a difference in your life, something's drastically wrong. Yes, think of the, think of the change that cross has made. Turn drunkards into godly men. Turn adulterers into holy people. Taking homes and on the verge of divorce and wreck and mending them together with the love of Calvary. Yes, the cross made the difference. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the cross means nothing. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with the saints to reign. Christ arose, he arose, and that next word, hallelujah, Christ arose. Listen, Easter is not just one day a year. It's every day in the Christian life we have a living Savior, not a dead Jesus on a cross and not a dead Jesus in the grave, but one that is alive and one that has conquered death, one that has conquered the grave, and because of that, we have victory in our life. Paul said that I may know him. That's salvation. But that wasn't the end. And he says, and the power of his resurrection. So many, so few Christians have that power in their life. Do you? Do you have that power of the resurrection? A few years ago, Ben and Amanda took my wife and myself to Rome, Italy. I never thought I would ever go, but they were so kind to give us this gift of travel there. Many wonderful things to see in Rome. 
I had to get used to the food, you know, lasagna, ravioli, spaghetti. <laughs> but the thing that touched my heart spun me around when we went into the Coliseum. Our guide brought us through what they called the gladiator's gate. As I was walking through the, that gladiator's gate, I stepped out into the arena. And I pictured 70,000 Romans sitting there watching Christians tied to stakes with wild animals tearing them apart. Why did they do that? Because they knew Jesus was alive and was worth dying for. Amen. Oh, we're, pastor was talking about soul winning. You say, preacher, oh, I'm too scared to knock on the door. Why? You have Jesus. Amen. Where's the power of the resurrection in our life? We're powerless. We try to overcome something, but we don't yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to preach a message on the filling of the Holy Ghost. That's another time, and your pastor probably teach you on that better than I can. But what I'm trying to say tonight is the thing that Mary missed is the same thing that stops us from seeing God that resurrected Jesus. We have a song that we sing at High Point in Connecticut. I said, God is bigger than any mountain that I could ever face. And I don't know what mountain you're facing tonight. I don't know what difficulty you're facing, what hardship it may be. But I do know this, that if I have a God that can raise from the dead, and I have a God that can save my soul and make a difference in my life, then I got a God that can take care of me and see me through. Amen. Disciples? It's a ghost. Fear greater than their faith. Mary, looking for a dead Jesus instead of a living. And then finally tonight, Luke 24. Is it possible to be in the presence of God and not know it? Well, we've seen two instances already. The same context in Luke 24. Jesus had died, was buried, rose again. And in verse number 13, the Bible says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together, and reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were beholden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as you walk and are so sad? He said, Hey, fellas, what's going on? Why the sour puss? What are you so despondent over? And the Hennessy says, What are you new around here? Don't you know what's been going on? This man, Jesus, came, and we believed him, and we trusted him, 
and we put our faith and trust in him and then they took him and they killed him and now he's dead. But then Jesus did something. The Bible tells us here that in verse number 25, then said he unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. How would you like to have Jesus be your Sunday school teacher? (laughs) Can you imagine him? Hey, fellas, let me tell you something. And he starts at Moses. He must have gone through Genesis, Esos, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and through all the prophets. So this is what the Bible says should happen. And many times our problems and our difficulties come because we don't understand what the Bible says. People say, what do you think about the world today? I said, we're right on target. I read the book. It's going to get worse. But then it's going to get a whole lot better. Twenty-eight, verse 28, and they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, he sat at meat with them, took bread, blessed it, break, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Why didn't they see him? Because they did not have communion with him. I'm not talking about the communion table, in which we break bread and share the cup in memory of the death of Jesus Christ, the body and the blood broken for us. I'm talking about communion, intimate communion with Jesus one-on-one. The weakest part of my life is that personal, devotional time to spend with God. It seems like something's always interrupting. Like something always comes up and God gets pushed aside. They didn't recognize Jesus because they didn't have that communion. When they had that fellowship with him, their eyes were opened. I don't know your personal habits. None of my business between you and God. But you won't see God unless you spend time with him. My wife and I, next month, be married 54 years. Some of you have been married maybe even longer. And what I'm about to say, you could understand. We've been married so long now, we could almost read each other's mind. <laughs> I would ask her and say, honey, what do you think about? She says, I was just wondering about that. And it was the same thing that we're talking about. How many times we have gone through in uh, faith promise, making faith promise commitment to missions. 
uh, there, and I'd be praying about my on the mount. She'd be praying the mount. Says, "Okay, honey, what do you? How much you been praying about?" And she said, "I said that's what I've been praying about." Sometimes I said, "You know, maybe we ought to plan to do." And she says, "I was just thinking about that." Now, how does that happen? If we were married, and uh, the end of our wedding day, I said, "Oh, honey." You made a beautiful bride. We had a great wedding. The man had a great reception, so many friends and everything. That says, now, now you go home, and you be with your parents down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I'll stay up here in Connecticut, and I'll see you Christmas, and I'll see you on Easter, and maybe your birthday here or there. Would we still be married? Yeah, we'd still be married. Would we really know each other? How do you, we dwell together? So he, the Bible says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Not frequent, but to dwell there. We rush through sometimes our daily devotions, our Bible readings. We abbreviate our prayers. God bless all the missionaries in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Boom, and off you go. I have just too many things to do today. Hence, we don't see God like we should. Now, I understand that we don't see him physically, and not like that little girl that took out a piece of paper and had circles, and she had some zigzag lines. Then she had some vertical lines, and just a bunch of scribbles, and she brought it to Mama. She says, Mama, look what I drew. You know, mothers don't want to hurt child's feelings. Oh, honey, that's very, very pretty. I'm going to put it right up here on the refrigerator. Uh, what is it? <laughs> she said, that's God. God. Honey, you can't draw a picture of God. She says, why not? She says, nobody knows what he looks like. She says, they do now. <laughs> and sometimes, don't you wish you could see the face of Jesus. Reach out and touch him. But it's by faith that we see his presence and touch his person tonight. Possible to miss seeing the very presence of God. I don't want to miss that. tonight as I close the service I'm going to miss you folks meet you at the door go over a little fellowship yonder and we'll say goodbye and I don't know when I'll see you again but I do know this your need is the same as mine I need that closer walk with Jesus that my fear is diminished by my faith. God, give me faith greater than my fear. And then I need to know the power of the resurrection in my life. I'm not just talking about knowing how to do something. I'm talking about doing something that only God can do through you. To be delivered and for you to do and do the work of God as he wants you to do it just that close to walk with you in that communion with Jesus Christ. Can I invite you, if you're able to, please stand and look up this way. <laughs>